0: Hello and welcome to the Amp Podcast, the show where we discuss the latest trends, research, and insights in the entertainment industry. My name is Manal Mota, and I lead consumer research here at Ampere Analysis, and I'll be your host for today. On today's show, we'll be talking to Fred Black about the recent downturn in U.S. commissions, looking at the companies and platforms who are responsible, and when audiences are likely to notice the effects. Also joining us this week is Richard Cooper who will be taking us through his recent report analysing the current US streaming market in the wake of an industry-wide shift towards profitability. And finally, we'll have Lottie Towler here to talk about where broadcasters fit into all of this and how they can increase their share of online viewing in an evolving streaming landscape. Fred, Richard and Lottie, welcome to the show.
1: You are listening to The AMP Podcast from Ampere Analysis to learn more about Ampere's research and services head to ampereanalysis.com
0: In recent years we've seen the huge growth in content spend especially on original content from the major SVOD players as each of these different services looks to distinguish themselves from the competition and boost the number of subscribers However, over the past 12 months, it seems that there's been a complete re evaluation of how these services are measuring their success, with a shift in focus to profitability rather than purely subscriber growth. As a result, this change in strategy has led to streaming services significantly cutting back on their content spend, and hence we're seeing a big dip in commissions in the US, which have now slumped back to pre COVID levels. And that's where we're going to be starting today. But before we get into all of that, Fred, I think it would be really helpful to set the scene and give a bit of background into the overall trend and how it looks across different platforms.
1: Sure. So in the US, over the last three quarters, so that's from July last year, 2022, up to the end of last month, we've seen the rate of commissioning of new content slide dramatically. Commissions overall are down by around 19 to 20%, but it's most significant for scripted content. So the slide's been 32% there. And that equates to around 150 missing TV commissions over that period, compared to the same period over 2021 and 2022. The biggest drops have come in kids content, reality content, and crime and thriller content, as well as drama. But crucially, there's no genre of content that is currently growing in the US. Everything is sliding. In terms of platforms, there's two pretty clear culprits both SFOD services and pay TV channels are reducing their commissions. Both groups actually buy over 200 titles in that period. And both are cutting back more significantly on scripted content than unscripted content. For pay TV, that is a longer term trend. Uh, pay TV commissions have been on the side as pay TV subscriptions and revenues have been either stagnating or falling as well. However, uh, previously, a lot of that content has been moving to the SVOD services. Now that SVODs are cutting back as well, there's really no nowhere, nowhere that's actually increasing, although the broadcast channels Are maintaining their commissions. Even at broadcast, though, there's a concern about the lack of new projects compared to the renewal of older and longer running TV shows. Then, at a smaller scale, but nonetheless worth mentioning, social media platforms, so platforms like Facebook Watch, Snapchat, YouTube, they've all been pulling back from originals as well. Commissions at this group fell around 73%. That content is being replaced, however, by uh, commissions from the Avod and Fast channels. Commissions here nearly tripled compared to the same period. It's still fairly small. So these platforms were involved in around 5% of commissions in the US market overall. But it is also the only real site of growth in the industry. So it's an important outlier to point out.
0: That's really interesting. I think we'll dig into some of that in a bit more detail in a second. But before we do, that downward trend is surely going to have an impact on SL Platform's ability to retain current subscribers and attract new ones. Richard, from the research that you've done, why are the streaming services in particular in the US now pulling back on their spend?
2: So one of the things that we've observed in terms of their subscriber numbers is that these have begun to plateau over the course of the last few years. I think everyone's aware that uh, Netflix has had one or two quarters where they've actually registered a subscriber loss. Um, There are reasons for that, but actually Netflix are not alone in seeing that stagnation and that slowdown. In, the, in terms of the new additions to uh, their subscriber bases. So we've got to a point of maturity for a lot of these services in the US domestic market. And what that means is that really their opportunities for growth in terms of the subscribers in the US has slowed down considerably. So rather than being focused necessarily on new subscriber acquisition, what they're now looking at is subscriber retention and you know, how that is impacted by the amount of Content that they have, both old and new.
0: Fred, just going back to something that you mentioned, you said that scripted content has been harder hit than unscripted. Why do you think that is?
1: So, the picture for unscripted content is slightly different to that that we're seeing for scripted. So, back in the pandemic, we saw this really big boom in fast turnaround unscripted content. Platforms and channels were struggling to fill their schedules, they needed to get stuff, get new content produced very quickly. Uh, with a minimum of crew. So you saw a rise in the kind of documentaries that used footage from past productions, reality shows that they could filmed at home or filmed with a very small crew. And then as the pandemic kind of alleviated a little bit, a lot of commissioners were kind of surprised by how popular this content had turned out to be. And so the unscripted boom continued even after the lockdown. Now we are seeing a fall in unscripted content, but actually almost all of that decline is actually caused by um, one company, which is Warner Bros. Discovery. So in those three quarters that we're looking at, so from July 2022 to March 2023, the number of unscripted commissions in the US fell by around 250 titles. It's around 16% of the market. Warner Bros. Discovery alone reduced its unscripted commissioning by 175 titles. So it is 70% of the cutbacks in the area. What that means then is that the drop is maybe not so much of an existential crisis as it is for scripted content, but it does pose big problems for the sector. Unscripted content in particular is more likely to be produced by smaller independent producers. And some of those companies rely on key relationships with just one or two channels or platforms. So those producers that are pretty reliant on a giant like Warner Bros. Discovery, if Warner Bros. Discovery starts to cut back so drastically to save costs it can have an enormous effect on smaller producers down the line.
0: Do you think that Warner Bros Discovery and HBO Max, that collaboration of potentially Discovery and Max together, is having an impact on the fact that commissions are going down?
1: Absolutely. I think the Discovery Plus question in here is very interesting in that they saw there was a huge amount of extra content being commissioned for Discovery Plus a year, 18 months ago, and now there's actually relatively little being commissioned for Discovery Plus. So Warner Bros Discovery is cutting back on unscripted content for its Discovery cable channels, and it's also drastically reduced its original output for Discovery+. Plus. So that rolling in of Discovery plus into HBO Max is unlikely to see a significant amount of original Discovery plus content coming in with it. It's more likely to be content from the channels and subscribers on Discovery plus will be seeing a lot less original content that they wouldn't get via their pay TV subscriptions.
0: We've spoken so much about the people who are cutting back on it. Are there any platforms or services who are bucking the trend and continuing to spend more?
1: Yeah, so the biggest company bucking the trend, swimming against the current here is Amazon. Amazon has been increasing both its unscripted, but particularly its scripted content commissioning. That's a clear strategy change from Amazon that we saw um, last year. So in 2020 and 2021, Amazon ordered around 30 scripted projects in the US, both of those years. Last year, that figure was nearly 50. So there's a massive additional amount of content being ordered. And actually, they've already ordered 15 projects in the first quarter of this year. So it looks like they're increasing that rate again. We've seen similar growth, not quite as high at Apple. So they've gone from ordering 38 commissions in 2021 to 51 in 2022. And so the trend here is that those tech companies that are involved in the content game are able to increase their commissions when pure entertainment companies are not. So if your wider company isn't entirely reliant on a struggling entertainment sector for revenue, you can afford to keep commissioning big projects through the kind of hard times we're seeing right now. And that means that when we start to see this lack of original content appearing on other platforms like HBO Max or Disney Plus or Netflix around the turn of the year around mid 2024, Amazon and Apple will be in a plum position to take advantage because they've grown their combined share of scripted SVOD commissions in the US from 13% in 2021 to 26% in the second half of 2022. So they're going to be suddenly kind of on the top of a tree for original content in the US.
0: So it's quite clear that there's going to be some big winners and some big losers. Do you think that's where the positive commissioning trends are going to come from in the future for those companies? Or are, is there anything else that you're seeing in the research that you've done?
1: Yeah, so I think in terms of positive trends, there is that growth in AVOD and FAST. They're seen as a, a potential future for the industry in particular, as you know we're losing audiences on broadcast and pay TV platforms. However, there is a big question there about whether AVOD revenues will ever be high enough to commission very much expensive content. You know, they can make a lot of shows, but then probably not going to commission uh, 20 or 30 million an episode like some of these platforms. Um, but we're talking about being in decline. I also think all of this is partly in reaction to the cost of producing content in the US, which is currently pretty extreme. And it makes those kind of numbers of the money you get out compared to what you get in, it makes that equation much more difficult to make add up. As kind of commissions fall off a bit, you'll see things like the pressure on studio space, on uh, crew subside slightly. You'll also see some commissioning activity that's been lost to abroad start to kind of come back because the costs will drop a little bit and the economics may basically start to add up again. I'd also point to the increased willingness of studios to license their content to third parties. So one reason everyone needed to commission more was because content was no longer being shared between companies and platforms. If shows are now more likely to be windowed, so they might launch on SVOD, but then they'll appear on pay TV and then eventually on free-to-air, it might actually improve the amount of content your average member of the audience has access to because that, that content will be shown across three or four different platforms. So there may be less content overall, but for the audience, it may actually be a healthier ecosystem than it has been recently.
0: And Lottie, just keeping on that audience theme, what do you think is going to happen when these cuts start to get noticed on these streaming services? Yeah, so we've obviously seen
3: consumers spending an increasing amount of time watching content on SVOD over the past few years. So it will be interesting to see how this might change when they do notice that there's less new content premiering. But I think it's quite likely that we'll see some switching of services, so more resubscribing and churning behaviour. They might take additional services, they might downgrade to cheaper ad-supported tiers that they can take more services, or if their household isn't able to support another subscription, they could use free services like Avod and Fast to supplement that viewing and essentially satisfy their viewing appetites. And as Fred Fred said, obviously those Avod services have been investing more in original content unlike the SVOD players. But what I really, really think it comes down to is that SVOD players will have to be clever about how they plan their release slate. So if they've still got enough temple titles spread over the course of the year, that can help maximise the number of months that subscribers will need to stay on the service and doing staggered and weekly releases can also help. I think this is really kind of like highlighted by Disney Plus's strategy when it comes to some of its franchise spin-off content. So for example, if you were a Marvel fan and you wanted to watch all of the episodes of the Marvel spin-off series in 2022 as they dropped, you need to stay subscribed to Disney Plus for 10 months of the year.
0: I feel like you can kind of see that with the HBO Max strategy at the moment as well. Since House of Dragon started, it was House of Dragon, White Lotus, and then Last of Us as well in the middle. So that does feel like whilst we won't know the effects of all of this until 2024, there are learnings that can be taken that's happening at the moment.
2: It's actually very interesting that it's Apple and Amazon who are continuing to commission lots of content because those are the two companies that, you know, I talk about a lot when I'm talking about content aggregators and the companies who are likely to benefit from, you know, effectively the, this sort of saturation of the market. So, you know, they are going to be the ones who are pulling in content from uh, all of those other services to present to people who have consolidated their their billing and their viewing through Amazon or or Apple, and yet they're going to be offering quite a lot of their own content as well. It, it's interesting that those two companies are the ones that are sort of continuing their content spend, really.
1: Yeah, I think another potential winner actually is Netflix. Netflix had to, with all of these additional competitors in the s space, had to massively balloon the amount of original content it was making to stay in first place, basically, as the biggest uh, entertainment producer. If everybody starts to cut back, they suddenly don't have to quite be leveraged so high on how much content they're producing. And suddenly the studios are talking about uh, selling their content to third parties, licensing again. They may decide that we'll license to people, but we, uh, we won't license to Netflix. That's possible. But if they do, then suddenly Netflix are back looking at kind of the business model they were operating two or three years ago. And they've s- kind of seen off a lot of the competition. So I think, yeah, it seems to be that it's the, it's the big studios who have kind of tried and slightly pulled back from the s space.
0: I think we'll be going into some of the benefits and pros and cons of licensing in a bit more detail but it does feel like at the moment the industry is going through themes which have happened previously like re-aggregation for example everything fragmented and then now everybody wants everything back in one place so it does seem like people have tried new things maybe it hasn't worked as well as they wanted and we're going back to some of the more older traditional models. So competition has been increasing over the past few years in the US with major SVOD launches such as HBO Max, Discovery Plus, Paramount Plus, etc. And this competition has created a saturated market which isn't set to grow much in our forecast period. Now, Richard, your research shows that the content arms race has reached an impasse. In your report, you identified the US SVOD market has evolved into three distinct tiers. Can you talk us through these?
2: Uh, Yes, certainly. So. It's sort of stratified into the market leaders who are really just the, the top four. Netflix, rather obviously, Amazon, Disney Plus, and Hulu in the US market really form that, that top tier of uh, services. All of them have or are reaching a, a level of maturity in that market. They're all heavily saturated. As a group, they're led by Netflix, who are expected to to hit 51% penetration in the US. That seems to be the, the top bar that is being set by SFOD. Disney comes in along with Amazon just under that, uh, about 5% under that. And then a little bit lower, we've got we've got Hulu as well. So that's the, the market leaders all reaching saturation throughout through the forecast period. So then we've got a, a second tier of SFOD services. These tend to be the studio-backed services. So the likes of HBO Max, although that's obviously changing its name, we've then got Paramount Plus uh, and Peacock uh, in that grouping as well. They are maxing out at around sort of 25 to 30% penetration of the US market, again, plateauing at that level. So not likely to, to grow rapidly and, and move into that uh, upper band of, uh, of services. And then beneath that, we've got a set of services which are fairly unique to uh, the US, this sort of third tier of, of more niche services. Now included in there at the moment are one or two services that we've already mentioned. So Apple is part of that, but they are possibly the only service which is likely to shift tiers over our forecast period. So they're going to move up into that, into that sort of second, second tier category over the course of our uh, forecast period. A lot of those niche services are never really going to push much past uh, around six million subscribers in the US over the course of that time, but they are probably only able to exist because of the size of the US market. It's a single addressable, single language market. Um, They are able to survive on on that volume of subscribers, probably in that market alone.
0: That brings me quite nicely onto my next question in that I then assume that these tiers aren't visible in other areas like across APAC or Western Europe because of that single language common factor?
2: That's exactly right. So in Smaller markets, that third tier simply isn't able to exist, and in fact, uh, the reality is quite a lot of that second tier of of services can't exist either. So, if we sort of shift some of those some of those key players into the Western European theatre, we can see actually HBO Max riding along the bottom in terms of the volume of subscribers they're likely to to gather um, in Western Europe. So. You know, it really is just a, a question of the U.S. market being quite so large that can support you know those volumes of subscribers that support the services themselves.
0: So, just going back to the U.S. for a second, it's obviously the most advanced OTT market globally, with an average U.S. household taking about four point six services. Is there genuinely room for further revenue growth there?
2: So, further revenue growth is likely to come from things like the addition of the the ad tiers but also the very unpopular price rises. So we've seen uh, recently Netflix sort of pushing back some of the changes that they were going to make to their their subscriptions, you know, particularly around the account sharing piece. You know, all of these things are very unpopular with consumers and when as Netflix has they've reached that level of saturation, they really want to be managing the rate of churn from their services very very actively. So there's still some growth in terms of revenue to be had, but it is going to be driven by in what are going to be very unpopular, changes in price or changing subscription deals.
0: And then Fred, just from the research that you did, how much of an impact will the slowdown in commissions have on Svald platforms' ability to grow their revenues?
1: I think that is a really interesting question coming out of all of this. Clearly, all these platforms, or a lot of them, are cutting back on original content and trying to bring their content spend back into line with their revenues. The spending up to now has been based on a kind of projected revenue level, a projected number of subscribers that we're kind of realizing is likely never to be reached for a lot of these platforms. However, the problem a lot of these platforms have got is that that a lot of them are sitting on quite spoiled audiences. So they expect a pretty huge quantity of premium content at a quite low price point a lot of the time. A lot of these platforms are now going to have to balance, okay, we're cutting back on content, and we're asking you to pay more for the platform. That's a difficult proposition at a time when people are really taking notice of every, every penny that comes out of their wallets. So I think the ability of services to continue to grow is actually likely to come down to these price point discussions. Taking HVMAX as an example, for instance, it's one of the most expensive services on the market. It's cutting its commissions back drastically the additional thing it's offering its subscribers is kind of rolling discovery plus content in with the service. Is that going to make up for a cut back in the kind of premium product? So, yeah, I think that's going to be very difficult um, to kind of get audiences to take on board and be happy with. I think another thing is international growth is another key aspect. So you saw Apple partner with Canal Plus in France last week, talking about the Now TV HBO deal as well and commissions by the top group of streamers are increasing in some regions while they're falling in the US. So commissions are falling overall, but some of the deficit is being made up by European and Asian commissions in particular. So that begs the question, can the SVOD services persuade more people to watch European and Asian subtitled or dubbed content in lieu of English language content? And if they can't persuade them, can they make up in new global subscribers what they might lose or fail to gain in US subscribers?
0: I wonder if there's also an element of live sport as well, because that's become a real focal point of some of the streaming wars in the US and HBO Max, who traditionally does not have any uh, background in sport, obviously made its first foray into it as well. So I wonder if that will be an element that they'll be looking at. So just to go back to you, Richard, and some of the research that you've been doing, is, is part of the slowdown in spend that we're seeing coming as a result of maybe a change in strategy a bit higher up in some of these streaming platforms?
2: Well, the room for expansion really um, is no longer coming from uh, subscriber growth. So they're going to have to Make up some of that revenue growth somewhere else. So you know we've had you know a, a broad shift in strategy towards the introduction of ad tiers uh, as part of that that wider shift towards profitability. You know we've also seen you know the cutback in spending that, that Fred has been talking about, but you know the opportunities for growth certainly at a wider media group level are likely to be through mergers and acquisitions. So if you want to grow your overall subscriber base, the easiest way to do that would be simply to not necessarily merge two services together, but certainly acquire another SVOD service. So in that way, you're building up a much larger, broader subscriber base. It wouldn't make sense to to merge the two brands because one of the, the impacts that that would likely have is that any of the crossover between those two distinct subscriber bases you know, would be sort of merged together. People wouldn't want to continue to pay twice. So you would lose some subscribers in that, uh, using that strategy. So the other change in the wider strategies from the SVOD has been to target some of these older consumers. They have quite similar viewing habits to some of the younger demographics that, you know, typify a lot of SVOD viewing, but they've got a greater focus on areas like documentary, for example, greater focus on, on some of those sort of high value scripted dramas as well. But they also have got a greater level of interest in sports, which is another area that a lot of the SVODs are now trying to look at.
0: Um, So we've spoken a little bit about uh, clawing back of content. And over the last few years, we've seen quite a lot of it from different studios to use all that content on their own direct to consumer platforms. Lottie, going forward, can they afford to keep doing that? We've definitely seen a shift
3: in direction from some of these big players which we've already kind of touched on a little bit but it obviously does make sense to have recent premium releases on an exclusive basis but it's less important to have you know library content on an exclusive basis so while new premium releases can help draw in new subscribers and retain existing ones you can potentially gain more money from licensing out library content than you would gain by just having it in the catalogue so this is something we're already starting to see players explore. So, for example, HBO Max's catalogue in the US has already started to decline in terms of the proportion of it that's exclusive. And another interesting example recently was Abbott Elementary, which is an ABC show. So its season two has just finished premiering on ABC, and then the episodes are then made available on Hulu the day after. But it's also actually going to be made available on HBO Max soon. So while Disney still obviously get the... Maximum benefit when that show is released. It then can also monetize it in other ways, and HBO Max get a show that's still relatively recent. So I think it'll be interesting to see how licensing agreements evolve, both in terms of exclusivity, but also different approaches to windowing.
0: And then to wrap this section up, Richard, do you think the US is simply going to be a playground for the big names, or is there going to be space for those smaller brands to be able to carve out a name for themselves?
2: So the. Niche players, because they are able to support themselves in the US market, are likely to continue. What we'll probably see is some of that merger and acquisition activity around that, probably trying to aggregate some of them up into as part of a a bigger media group. But there's certainly room for those to act as independent players within the US market, and there's certainly no reason for them to step away from their, their current strategy. A lot of US consumers are very keen to have multiple SVOD services. I think within that market, it's really been treated as effectively an upgrade in the same way as a premium channel might be considered. And we've got to bear in mind that US consumers on average spend two or three times the same amount on their monthly entertainment as... European consumers, for example. So it really isn't difficult to to see that those niche players do have you know, a place within that market, and they're always going to be playing second fiddle to those market leaders. What's going to be quite interesting is to see how some of those players in the second tier sort of manage through this. If they're going to reduce their content spending and they're not going to be offering you know, as much new and exclusive content As they were before, you know, are they really going to be able to sustain themselves, you know, with the, the big boys at one extreme and those niche players at the other providing, you know, very specific types of key content?
0: as revenues become harder to come by by US consumers it's going to be really interesting over the next 12 to 18 months if those eyes end up turning globally instead and see how the international players also deal with that increased competition as well as some of the studio licensing deals that we've spoken about it'll be interesting to see if those that trend continues internationally as well but thank you for that In this chat so far, we've mainly talked about streaming services in the traditional studios, but there's another player here vying for eyes and attention, and that's the broadcasters. With the decline of pay TV in markets such as the US and UK, broadcasters have been increasingly squeezed and have had to look at new methods to grow their audiences. Lottie, if we hone in on the big UK broadcasters and how their broadcaster video on demand or BVOD services are performing – These are lacking significantly behind SVOD viewership, according to your research. What are the key reasons for this? So interestingly, when you look at
3: the audience size, which we can see based on the number of our respondents in our consumer polling that indicated they used a service within the past month, yeah, BVOD services around 70% of all UK respondents, um, SVOD a bit higher at 80%. But then if you look at the amount of time that consumers spend actively viewing content on these services, again, from our consumer polling, time spent viewing content on SVOD is actually double that of BVOD. So a really huge discrepancy there. And some of the reasons for this is firstly the difference, difference in audience types. BVOD users tend to skew older. Older consumers spend less time watching content in total, but also significantly less time watching content online than their younger counterparts. And also BVOD services are still often used as catch up, So, for all of the major BVOD services in the UK, about two thirds of their users also watch the corresponding linear channels. I guess there's also final reason, which is that SVOD services are paid services. So consumers are probably you know more likely to try and get that money's worth. But the discrepancy is still really big. So I think broadcasters should really be trying to focus on narrowing that gap.
0: And Fred, that gap that Lottie's talking about between UK broadcasters and SVOD generally, is that reflected in commissioning data as well?
1: I'd say not really at the minute. Commissioning in the UK by the local players is pretty stable. There are significant bets though being placed on platforms like ITVX. Plenty of originals coming for that. So if that's struggling to find a viewership, that could be an issue. You've also obviously got growing pressure on the BBC and its funding in the future. So I expect BBC commissions to start to, uh, if not reduce, then at least change in the kind of content they're able to commission. And you are seeing increased original production from platforms like Disney+, Plus, Paramount+, Plus, as they try and bed into the market. Another factor here that I'd like to throw in, I think, is the UK's production capacity and how much of that is actually taken up with American productions right now. So film producers, the cable channels, the American SVODs, they're all flying over American productions to take advantage of the UK's relatively cheap production costs compared to the US, not compared to some other markets, but compared to the US, generous tax incentives and also incredibly strong behind-the-scenes talent. And these American companies, they can pay a premium on what the kind of local UK channels can afford to spend on production. And that's made it increasingly difficult for local players to actually get their content made. They either can't afford to compete, and they just can't afford to find a space. So that limits their kind of ambition a little bit. What's coming down the line though is an increase in production capacity. So we've got a number of new studio spaces on the way to open the market. And we've got that downturn in US commissions that we've already talked about. And that will kind of alleviate the pressure a little bit. We're currently over capacity for production in the country. So an increase in space and a decrease in demand will actually kind of leave the local industry in a healthier position with local channels, local commissioners able to get their content produced more easily.
0: So we heard earlier from Fred that the downward in commissioning is hitting the scripted content quite hard in the US. But this is something that a lot of you believe that broadcasters in the UK should be investing more in to try that and bridge that viewing gap. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, I think so. There's still a very big difference in terms of content mix when you look at a BVOD catalogue compared to an SVOD catalogue. So BVOD catalogs are far more focused on unscripted content, obviously lots of local unscripted content, whereas SVODs have about 80% of their content hours focused on scripted. This is also reflected in their upcoming commissions, and we can also see it when we look at the sort of top popular titles. So, for example, in the UK, of the top popular unscripted series, broadcasters had about 30% of these on their platforms exclusively, and about 20% were shared between a BVOD and an SVOD service. So performing quite well in the unscripted market. But if you look at scripted content, just 14% of top titles were available on BVOD platforms. So SVOD platforms really dominate the space. And there are some benefits to scripted content over unscripted. So on average, scripted content can generate a much higher engagement, which we can see with our popularity score. So that essentially means they're able to draw in a larger engaged audience than unscripted. And not only this, but also after release, scripted titles are able to retain a higher level of popularity, which essentially means they become more valuable library assets. So yeah, it's tricky because obviously scripted content is more expensive to make than unscripted. So the recommendation here isn't necessarily for broadcasters to just spend loads more money on making more scripted content. So it's more about adjusting current content spend to have a bit more of an even balance between scripted and unscripted. But there's also some other cost effective ways in which broadcasters can increase the amount of scripted content available, including co-commission and of course, acquiring content, which we've already kind
0: of spoken about a little bit. So you touched on non-exclusive content when we discussed Richard's report. How big of an impact do you think that's going to have on the UK broadcasters?
3: Yeah. So as I said before, we've already seen players like HBO Max start licensing out some of their catalog. And we'll start to see this happen globally too. So essentially what this means, there'll just be a greater pool of high quality studio content available to license. So broadcasters can use this to grow the amount of scripted content in their catalogs. But interestingly, this can also kind of work in the other direction. So broadcasters can also license out some of their library content and monetize that more effectively, generate more revenue, which can then of course, be fed back into creating more new content. Yeah. And we've seen, for example, in the US, this already happening quite a lot in sort of the free market in terms of AVOD platforms licensing lots of content on a non-exclusive basis. So for example, a third of Tubi's newly added content over the past six months was content that was already available on another VOD platform in the US. And obviously we'll start to see these AVOD platforms try and increase their catalogue in international markets such as the UK, so this provides a perfect opportunity for broadcasters to license some of their content to these players. And similarly, broadcasters could also make their content available on platforms like YouTube and on fast channels. YouTube has the added benefit of being able to attract a younger audience, which is, as we've already mentioned, what kind of people are slightly lacking in. And both of these also enable broadcasters to deliver their content on branded channels, so they're able to keep that brand recognition reach a wider audiences and then potentially also drive consumers
0: to their owned and operated platforms for further viewing. I think I saw today that channel four has created its own first YouTube branded channel. And I guess also that it opens up the opportunity for increased advertising revenues as well, just on a different platform. And uh, Richard, the benefit of non-exclusive content isn't just on the buyer's side, is it? There's a lot of advantages for the sellers as well.
2: So, for the seller's point of view, you obviously get to sell the same piece of content more than once. So, you know, a second uh, bite of the cherry. It also means that, you know, you are effectively advertising that content, you know, across multiple platforms. It means that, you know, wherever consumers go, they're always going to be able to view, you know, the TV show brand, as it were, uh, across those multiple platforms. In terms of the. VOD services themselves. It means that they are gaining access to a much broader catalog. There are always going to be consumers who are loyal, shall we say, to you know a particular SVOD service. So it will be effectively exclusive on that one platform that they're they're viewing. They may not necessarily have a look at the twenty or thirty odd other VOD platforms that are also going to be available to them. You know, particularly in a market like the US where we have so many individual players.
0: And a big theme in the industry around the pandemic was streaming first paid for releases. Now, for some, there obviously wasn't a choice given that there was the theatrical closures. Since then, they've kind of tailored off for a lot of the streaming platforms. But how are the B VOD services tackling linear versus VOD releases?
3: So perhaps surprisingly, if we do look at the proportion of first run series that are released in 2022, the UK broadcasters, Under 10% were VOD premieres, which I think is quite surprising considering how much viewing habits have changed. So, broadcasters should consider increasing this. We can see in some markets where this has already happened. So, for example, German broadcasters such as ARD and ZDF have released a much higher proportion of premieres on VOD, around a third. And what we can see from the consumer data is that the increased number of scripted VOD premieres has also coincided with more time spent viewing content on BVOD services. But at the same time, the kind of audience sizes remain the same. So what this really suggests is that while it's the same audiences, they're spending more time watching content on the BVOD services rather than the linear channels. And yeah, there's some very key benefits for having a broadcaster's audience watching content on the BVOD services rather than the linear channel, which include that they'll get more granular viewing data. But also every time a consumer will watch something on the Bevo platform, there's the opportunity to kind of entice them with other content to watch via recommendations.
0: Do you think there's a bit of an education piece there as well? Because obviously some of the Bevo platforms audiences are a bit older to coincide with some of that linear viewing to be able to teach older audiences that they can maybe go to Bevo platforms first rather than having to turn to linear first.
3: Yeah, definitely. And I think that I think there's some other things they can do. So for example, we've seen ITVX have launched fast channels on their own platform. And I think we'll start to see this with more and more broadcasters because it can help with content discovery, but also it just does provide that alternative way to view content for perhaps those older audiences that do like the linear aspect.
0: And then finally, are there any other strategic areas where you'd recommend that the BeVol platforms focus in order to try and close that gap with SVOD? Yeah, I think uh, the final area
3: is really focused on attracting, again, those younger viewers. So again, within our consumer data, we ask consumers what drives them to view pieces of content. And for older viewers, the things, things like genre, the cast and the characters are the most important factors. For younger consumers, while these are still important, other things like word of mouth, recommendations and social media are also really, really key. So having a social media strategy on platforms like Instagram, TikTok and Snapchat can really help engage these audiences. And this is something that Netflix does really well. And we can kind of even see this in the data in terms of how their titles skew. So we collected audience demographic data from IMDb Reviews. And what we can see is that Netflix originals skew significantly younger than content in SVOD in general. And now, obviously, some of this is due to the type of content that Netflix creates. But this younger skew is actually something we see across all of their genres of originals, even things like crime and thriller, which typically resonate better with older audiences. So there's definitely some other factors at play. Yeah, Netflix has quite an aggressive social media strategy, um, particularly when it comes to marketing their originals that's, that's worked really well for them.
0: Thanks for that, Lottie. Thinking about the changing as well strategies, there may well end up being a scenario where BVOD platforms actually benefit given that A, they're free in the midst of a lot of economic uncertainty for consumers and B, there just might be a lot more content for them going forward in terms of licensing. Well, that's all we have time for. Thank you very much to all of our guests for their time and for sharing their research with us today. We've heard from Fred about the recent downturn in US commissions, Richard about the competition in the current US streaming market, and finally Lossie about how broadcasters can compete in the current streaming landscape. All of the reports discussed today are available on Ampere's website. Do get in touch if you're interested in accessing any of this research. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're already subscribed to the AMP podcast as well as our weekly newsletter. And for more on Ampere's research and services, head to ampereanalysis.com or get in touch by emailing info at ampereanalysis.com. I'm Manal Mota and I've been your host for today and the producer of this episode was Rory Goodrick. We hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you very much for listening.